what a sweet spot is. It is the most effective part of a baseball bat, a tennis racket, or even a golf club. And there are other things too. In fact, Tammy, can you throw a picture up of the sweet spot on the golf? If, if you're a golfer, and Carrie, I think you're a golfer, you like to hit it in the sweet spot. Why? Because it gives you the maximum result for the least amount of effort. I mean, when you hit the sweet spot, that ball just goes poo, it flies. How about the next slide? There is a sweet spot on a racket. You notice that there's a a dead spot here and maybe uh, a little more bounce here and the sweet spot's right in the middle of the racket. One more slide for you and this is a baseball. I love that they've actually put a little diamond on the baseball bat to show the batter where they want to hit that to get the sweet spot. So that's, that's pretty cool. But the sweet spot also refers when different values, oftentimes competing values, overlap each other a little. So if you can stay in the overlap, you're in the sweet spot. You can get the biggest bang for your buck or your your effort. Like the cheapest price, but the highest quality, right? Two competing values. Yet, if you're a good shopper, and I know some of you are, you can get the cheap price for a quality product. You know what? You've hit the sweet spot, right? Say yeah. Yeah, you hit the sweet spot. How about a user-friendly program? Do you remember when computers started and you had the floppy and you had DOS and you had to learn all the commands in order to actually get the thing to work and it was so frustrating but it was powerful? Now you want something that's user-friendly, that's a value, and the other side is you want that computer program to be powerful, right? So what's the sweet spot? Something that's powerful and overlaps with the user-friendly, right? Or even this microphone. Bob, where are you? There you are. This microphone has a sweet spot, doesn't it? If, if, and here's the competing values. Clarity versus loudness. Now if I go like this, Suddenly you have distortion, right? You have distortion. And so what is the sweet spot? It's right here. You know, if it's, if, if it's right here, that's not a sweet spot, is it? But it's clear. And so that is, even on a microphone, you have, if I can get this back around my ear. Goodness gracious, there we go. I need bigger ears or something. There we go. So a sweet spot can, can actually be overlap of competing values. Now our text today appears to have two competing values and sometimes that's known as a paradox. There are a number of paradoxes in the Bible. Perfectly understandable to God but when it hits our creative finite mind we can't reconcile the two. We're like huh that's weird. It's a paradox. But before we tackle the paradox that's in our text and its competing values and its sweet spot, let me mention to get your head wrapped around what a paradox is in the Bible. It says that Jesus is 100% God, right? And at the same time, he's 100% man. Now, I wasn't really great at math. I took calculus, but, you know, I struggled through it. 
But 100% and 100% doesn't equal 100%. And yet that's a paradox. Same thing with this. This is the Word of God, right? And yet, 100% of this is the Word of God. And yet, it was written by men. Every word was written by a man. A paradox. So the Bible has paradoxes. Or how about this? Man's free choice. Whosoever believeth on him should not, what? Perish. And yet, on the other side of the coin, chosen from the foundation of the world. Wait, it's free, but chosen. I, 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 don't, I don't get it. Or man turning from sin and God turning to man. Let me ask you, which came first? Did you repent and find God, or did you find God and repent? Well, wait, I, it's kind of all happened at the same time. Well, and do you see how there's paradoxes? So, here's today's question. Here's today's paradox. How, as a Christian, as a believer, how are you transformed? How do you change? How do you become more and more like Jesus? How do you grow as a Christian? Is it just faith or is there work involved? What makes you like Jesus? Is it surrendering and just being yielded? Or is it faithful obedience? Who changes you, God or you? Your new creation, you're a new creation, and, you, and you're making these decisions to be a new creation. In order for you to grow, is it up to you or is it up to God? Wow, sounds kind of like they're competing values. Our text today, and I'll, I'll, I'll show you what they are. Our text is going to say this. On this side, it's going to say, work out your salvation. Wow. We're going to work out our salvation. And yet, in the same breath, he says, God's doing all the work. Wait, you just told me that I have to work out my salvation. And over here, you said God's, God's doing all the work. Wait a second. Ah, do you see the sweet spot? When these two come together... We're going to be in the sweet spot. And that's what we're going to look at today. In fact, work out your salvation. God's doing a work in you. And that sweet spot of joy is going to be there. So, that's how we find the sweet spot. Now, one side is you're passive and you're yielded and God does the work. And one on the other side is where you're busy. I mean, you are busy. You're working. You're expending a great amount of effort fighting the old man, fighting dysfunction, fighting the flesh, fighting stinking thinking, fighting old addictions, clinging to the armor of God, taking every thought captive to Christ. Sounds like a lot of work, huh? Yeah. So the sweet spot is between these competing values. But let me tell you this. Let me do it this way. If you're just doing all the work, if you are doing all the work and you're doing it in your own strength, chances are you're going to become self-righteous. You're going to become prideful. 
And chances are, you're not really going to be transformed because who's doing the transforming? You're trying to do it. You're trying to do it on your own strength. You're doing all the right stuff, keeping all the rules, super obedient, super judgy, right? Then on the other side, God's doing all the work. So you have to do anything. No self-examination, no fruit. You're not concerned about if there's fruit in your life. You have no conscience, no concern over sin, no burning desire to be with God's people. God is going to change you with the passing of a wand or something, maybe. You're, uh, have you ever heard of this? He's the potter, you're the clay. What does a piece of clay do? It just sits there, right? It's just a lump. Because God does all the work. So I just, you know what? I, I gave my life to Christ. I was baptized. So now I just live my life waiting for him to do his work. So who's at fault if your life isn't transformed? Well, God is because he does all the work, right? Well, believe it or not, there, there are those thoughts out there. And that just isn't right. So the ideal spot is a combination of these two competing values. And that's where the joy and the peace are going to come. Right there. Just right there is that sweet spot where there's an overlap. And if you're doing all the work, think about this. If you're doing all the work, it becomes drudgery. And if God's doing all the work, there's no transforming power in your life. None whatsoever. You're not joyful because you're dysfunctional. I hate to say it this way. You can have spiritual constipation. If God is doing all the work in your life and you're spiritually backed up and you're not doing any effort over here, no work, no, no nothing, you're backing up. There has to be this two competing values come together and we find that sweet spot. So, we're going to look at the verse. You're in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to pick it up, just two verses. And we want to find that sweet spot of joy. Let me read. I'm reading out of the ESV. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Wow. That's quite a statement. It's a command. It's an imperative, by the way. It's not a suggestion. He is saying you need to work out your own salvation. Now, Tammy, throw that first slide up there. There. Therefore is there because it's referring back to Jesus. Because of the example of Jesus, what did Jesus do? He opened his hands, right? He gave up his rights, put others above himself. Jesus wasn't passive. He chose to walk down the ladder. Are you with me on that? He chose to humble himself. He took action. He took steps. And then he says, my beloved. That's the next slide. 
My beloved, I tell you this because you're so loved. Tenderly, Paul is telling them and us that this command that he is about to give is what we need to do. It's kind of like a little kid. You say, honey, it's cold outside. Put on a coat. You just don't, hey, put on a coat. You say, honey, you give the reason why. It's cold outside. Now I command you to put on a coat. He is saying honey to us. I know that sounds funny. But he's saying, beloved, honey. He is about to give us this command to work out our own salvation. And he does it very tenderly. And then it says, the next slide, as you have always obeyed, therefore I tell you to be like Jesus and have humble obedience, be Christ-like. That's the fill in the blank. Be Christ-like. It's so cool, this word obedience and obey in the original language. Let, let me cut to the chase. It means to listen, and then you go ahead and do it. Uh, it's not hupotasso. I think it's hupakuo. To listen and to, to do it. To be under the, the word. That's kind of cool. To be under the word so that you do the word. In Acts chapter uh, 12, when little Rhoda goes to the door and Peter's released, I mean, by an angel from prison, and he goes and he knocks on the door, and Rhoda says, man, there's somebody at the door, but who could that be? That can't be. But the verb answered or obeyed is the same word here. To obey means to answer the command. Isn't that cool? To be obedient is to answer the command. I love that. I love that that all of this is is, is tied back to what Jesus' obedience means to work out your salvation. To work out your salvation means God's wanting humble obedience. So how do you work out your salvation? How, think of it this way, how do you obey your salvation? How do you obey your... You've been given salvation. You don't work for it. We'll get to that in a second. How do you obey your salvation? How do you answer the call on your life? Because that's the word obedient. It means to listen and to do. To answer. To answer the door, so to speak. Well, you'd be like Christ. You open your hands... You give up your rights and you put others above yourselves, right? In humble obedience as a servant. So let's go deeper into this phrase. Let's th- here it is, the phrase, work out your own salvation. We're going to look at each word because it's important. And the first word is, is the word work. And here is how this word is translated in other parts of the Bible. Accomplish. Bring about, carried out, committed, doing, performing, producing, produce, work. Those are all the ways it's, it's translated in, in the Bible. That's pretty cool because it gives you a fuller picture of what it means to work. 
It means you have to be focused. That means you have to be diligent. You have to be active. You have to pursue it. It isn't just being passive. When Jesus comes into your life, you cannot be passive and be obedient. Obedience is going to cause you to to work. And, and, and work, this word work is not a new concept in the, old, in the New Testament or the Old Testament. It's all throughout the New Testament. It's a sustained, catch this, a sustained pursuit of obedience. Colossians, take off the old man, put on the new. Does that take effort? Oh man, I can't tell you how many times I have to kill the old Rob. I have to die to my flesh. Does that take effort? Yes, it takes a lot of work. I want to be selfish. I want to be snarky. I want to be everything my way, right? That's not the way of joy. And so Colossians, take off the old man, put on the new. Hebrews, throw off every encumbrance that prevents you from running the race. When you run a race, you don't put army boots on. What do you do? You go and you buy the $100 Nike shoes. Why? Because you want the fast you want the fastest time. You don't want to be encumbered. Or what Paul said in Philippians. Forgetting what lies behind, I press on. I press on for the upward call of Christ Jesus. I pursue it. What did he tell Timothy, the, his his young mentor, his young son in the faith? Fight the good fight. Does fighting take effort? Oh, let me tell you, if you don't fight in a fight, you lose, right? You have to fight. There's a spiritual battle going on. That takes energy. That takes effort. Flee. Does flee take effort? Flee sexual immorality. Stand firm. Put on the full armor of God. Take care of widows and orphans. Do not grow weary from doing good. Prepare your minds for action. Put away all malice and deceit and all of that. Let me tell you, it was, I, I had a chance to uh, sub this week, and so I had four, a fourth grade class. And what we had to do is go through a story about an earthquake that happened somewhere. And the kids had to, the children had to circle all the vivid verbs. They were trying to up their comprehension when they read a verb, and they were talking about how to write your own story with vivid action words. You know what? The New Testament is full of these action words. Action. Work. Work. So how do you answer the call of your salvation? Tremendous effort, tremendous focus, tremendous pursuit. So we are to work, and then the next one, out. We work out. Catch this. He does not say you must work for your salvation. You must work for your supper, right? You must work for your allowance. You must work. No, no. He doesn't say work for because you are saved by what? Say it with me. Grace. You're saved by grace. But you don't work for your salvation. You don't work at your salvation. You're to work out your salvation. There's a little phrase in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, that is very, very powerful. It's a gem. 
It is a gold nugget. It is one of those things that comes out of Scripture that you just want to hang on to. And here it is. Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. I'm going to read part of 16 and part of 17. He says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation for everyone. The Jew first and then the Gentile. But then he goes on, he says, for in it, prepositions are important. That's why work for or work out your salvation, two completely different meanings. Prepositions are important. And in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, he says, for in it, the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. There is power in the gospel. Does that make sense? Sort of, kind of? Okay, work with me on it. Hang on to that thought that there is power in the gospel. So, it must work its way out of us then. You've come to Christ, the gospel, in it there is a righteousness that is powerful transforming us the gospel transforms us say that with me the gospel transforms us the gospel is a nice way of saying the whole package jesus is okay now i'm gonna give you a poor example but work with me on it because you're so gracious towards me okay and that is pretend for a moment that you're an orange hold on don't put it up yet you're an orange okay because God has given you this salvation. You're an orange, and He has filled you with beautiful fruit inside. Now you can throw it up. You're this orange. Isn't that a nice little orange? What do you do in order to get the juice out of the orange? Boy, you've got to work at that, don't you? You've got to work. You've got to wring it. The juice was given to you freely, right? Jesus was given to you freely. Salvation was given to you freely. The gospel was given to you freely. But Paul says you've got to work out that salvation. You've got to squeeze that out. It's, a, it's a, a verb, and the tense basically means continuing action. You don't just, hey, one-time event, I squeezed the orange, and now I'm done. It is a constant effort of working, and, and you could translate it. Paul says, be sure to be working out your salvation. Not work out, but working out, because it's a continual process. It's, not, it's, it's a way of life, not a one-time event. It's a way of life. So, you work out, next slide, your own. You work out your own, and here's, no one can do it for you. I can't wring out the salvation that God has placed in your heart. The righteousness of your salvation, I, I can't wring it out of you. You have to do it. In light of our culture, let me say it again. You have to do it. You cannot pay someone to take your college exam. Right? 
You can't pay and bribe your way into Yale or Harvard or USC. Oh, it's done. You cannot pay someone else to wring out the salvation that has been placed in you. Do you understand that? That salvation has been placed in you. You have to get it out of you. That's your part of the equation. God does what only He can do. You do what you've been called to do, to work out your salvation righteousness is in the gospel your job is to bring that righteousness that's in the gospel out in your life does that make sense you've got to bring it out of your life by the way you live so we work out your own salvation that's the next slide salvation past present and future See, there was a moment in the past when you were born again. You responded to the gospel. And you went from the domain. I love that it's not a kingdom of darkness. It's a domain, this little thing, the domain of darkness. And you were brought into the kingdom of light. You went from death and you passed through that door and came into life. The orange we want to keep with that analogy, was cut open. The orange was cut open. You died to self, and the Holy Spirit took up residence in you. And that was the past. Yet salvation is also now. You are being transformed as you squeeze the new creation out of you. Does that make sense? You're squeezing the new... Think of a butterfly coming out. It has to go through the cocoon, and that cocoon is squeezing that little butterfly because its wings are all shriveled up. And that process of being squeezed forces all the fluid into the wings. You try to help a butterfly get out of its cocoon without being squeezed, you know what you've done? You've, you've doomed it to death because it is the squeezing out that gives life. You have been given life. Now God says, work it out. Squeeze. You're still being forgiven. And we said, woohoo! Grace is still being poured out on you today. The new you is still growing, aren't you? Hopefully, you're growing. And yet, salvation is future. One day, you get to drink that orange juice. Drink from the salvation that was given to you that you squeezed out into the new creation that you've become, and one day salvation will be completed. Are you with me on that? Jesus is coming back. It may be tonight. Fighting the good fight. Laying hold of salvation. That's what Paul told Timothy. Pressing in hard to the new life in Christ. Again, working out your salvation is not a one-time event. It's a way of life. What some people call a long obedience. It's easy to be, be obedient for a little while, right? That's how couples get married. They're, they like love each other for a little while, and afterwards they're like, I don't want to be obedient anymore. I found somebody more attractive. See ya! No, a long obedience means you're married for 50, 60, 75 years. It's a long obedience. See, Jesus said this, and people don't like to hear it when Jesus says things like this. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Ooh, 
Really? I thought, I thought God does all the work, and I just sit there like a lump on a log, and I'm clay, and I then go live my life any way I want to. No, 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 no. Jesus is Lord, right? Obedience is a marathon, not a sprint. So, let's go back to the text. Work out your own salvation with, let's go ahead and do fear. A fear is afraid of offending your Heavenly Father. A healthy fear of respect. Let me put it that way. A healthy fear of respect. You're afraid of offending. You have a best friend. Do you ever get afraid that you might have offended them? Yeah. Oh, I said something out of kilter, off. I don't know what I said. You, because it's something that you're afraid of. It's not a fear that's based on, I'm going to get in trouble. It's a fear that's based on, I don't want to do anything that's going to upset my relationship. And we get the word phobia from this word, fear, phobus. And so the Christian struggle, it's a spiritual struggle, and it's not a party, although there's joy. You're in a battle with the flesh. You're in battle with the world systems and the philosophies and Satan and demonic uh, principalities. And we need a healthy fear, don't we? How many of you like to work with electricity? I do not like electricity. I have a good, healthy fear of electricity. I use my light switch. I use electricity all the time. But I don't want to get so close to it that it may kill me. I have a very healthy fear. A nonchalant attitude towards electricity could possibly kill you. Did you read of this week about the baseball coach and the wife that were putting up the sign? He had bought a new score, scoreboard or, or had gotten a new scoreboard for uh, an area in Florida that had been wiped out by a hurricane. Him and his wife and his boy, they were putting up the sign. He was offloading it with some sort of crane. The crane hit the power lines, killed him instantly electrocuted him you know what his wife did saw what was going on she ran over there to grab him guess what she was electrocuted the boy tries to help he goes over i don't know it doesn't say he got hit and he got knocked off he's alive his parents are dead because the man did not have a healthy fear of electricity christian you need a healthy fear of working out your salvation are you with me on that? Look at the next slide. Trembling, we get the word shake from it. You know, tremble, shake. That's, the, uh, that's what the word actually means, to shake. Trembling, it should shake you to the core if you're pursuing sin. That would be working in death, the opposite of working out life. These prepositions mean something. That would be working in death. We need to have that healthy fear of offending God and that we don't take a nonchalant attitude. A healthy understanding of sin and righteousness, what the difference is. The healthy understanding of what forgiveness is and presumption. Don't you hate it when people presume against, or pre presume? Uh, I, I thought I could take your car. Well, did you ask? Well, you have in the past. You've let me get away with things in the past. Do children presume that they can get by with something? Let me tell you, your kids will presume because 
They didn't lose their life last time. They're not going to lose their life this time. There's a, a presumption, right? Where we have to have a healthy understanding of what disobedience is and what true repentance is. It puts you on guard to stay on track, to work out your salvation. Because this is serious business. Squeezing the new creation out. I'm going to date myself. How many of you had Play-Doh as a kid? Some, I don't even know if they still make Play-Dohs. Remember the, the what did they call it? The pumper? You know, you, you put the Play-Doh in and you put this, you slid a star cut out or a, a rainbow and then you took the handle and you did what? You squeezed that Play-Doh and that Play-Doh came through and it made the shape whatever you want, right? That's what God's doing. And that's what you're doing. He is squeezing out this new creation. Squeezing it out so that it can be formed and shaped and transformed into what He wants. Hallelujah. Would you uh, have fear and trembling if you were defusing a bomb? Man, I just, I'd be shaking. You see it on TV all the time. They're, oh, red wire, the black wire, the red, you know, and they're trembling. That's that kind of shaking. This is serious business, Paul's saying. You need to be working. Work out your own salvation. Now, you may be asking at this point in the sermon, because well, I'm almost out of time, where's the sweet spot of joy? It's coming. Because let's go back to the text. Let's read what it says this. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Tammy, throw that out. Yeah, that slides up there. Perfect. For it is God. Who is God? The loving creator that loves you. Who works. It's interesting. This word work isn't the same work that was translated. This word, work, is the same word we get energy from. He's the one energizing. Not the one that's producing. He's the power. Kind of like a steering wheel. How many of you have power steering and love it? Woo-hoo! God says, grab the wheel, Lawrence, but I'm going to give you power so that you can steer your life. If you don't have that power, if it's not energizing, and I love this, he's not out of you, he's working where? In you. Huge difference. God is energizing you inwardly. Wow. The wonderful, loving creator works and he's the power before, behind the transformation. You're not using your own strength or your own resources, your own smarts, your own cleverness, your own intelligence, because it ain't going to work. It's through his strength, his resources, his smarts, his wisdom, his intellect, his work, it's his energy working in you. He's putting the juice 
and the juice. Are you with me on that? He's, he's the one. He's loaded it up. He's not outside of you, and that's where that other illustration breaks down. The, the potter and the clay. The potter is outside of the clay. This says he's in us. Do, 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 you, do you catch the difference? It's like this. God is in your bloodstream, delivering oxygen and energy so that you can live your life. See, the clay is, is passive. Oh, God pushed me here. God shaped me here. God molded me here. God did this, and this is how I look now. But it says he's working in you. That, that lifeblood, that energy that's coursing through you. Now, we, I want you to remember this from times past. Head, heart, hand. What was it? What God's Word says, to me, I will do. You engage the head, goes to the heart, and comes out the hands, right? That's how, that's how transformation happens. Head, heart, hand. You forget the hands, and it's head and heart. What happens? Nothing. Nothing. Or if you don't have the head, and you're just going out there doing all these nice things, is it transforming you? Nothing. It's head, heart, hand. So he, it, the text says, For it is God who works in you, next slide, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I don't know if you can read that. I'll help you read it because the prince, I try to make it as big as possible. Both to will and to work. Here are the two things. God's work in us. Right there, God's work in us. God pours his energizing word, his spirit into our life. That's truth. It speaks truth. So here, speaks to our heart, and then our hand. It changes the way we live or work to be like Jesus. And suddenly, you have that sweet spot. That is that sweet spot that we've been talking about. When God is working in you, energizing you, and you're giving all that you have to the relationship. Catch that. You're not giving all yourself to work. You give all yourself to the relationship that naturally produces the work. You're being loving and humble and obedient. Remember joy? Joy is independent of circumstances. Joy is the deep abiding confidence in your relationship with God that you and Him are okay. It comes from that supernatural friendship with God. The, uh, supernatural awe of God. Okay, next slide, because we have to wrap up. I'm out of time. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, head, heart, hand. Head, heart, hand. He tells me, it goes to my heart, energizes me to change. Energizes me. It flows through me. For His good pleasure, God takes great pleasure in transforming you. Go like this. Just like you get joy when you're in the sweet spot, 
The text says that God takes great pleasure when you're in the sweet spot. Because he's right there with you. Head, he's doing his part. Hand, I'm doing my part. Somewhere we merge in the middle where that heart is. Where what God's word says, to me, I will do. What God's word says, to me, I will do. And it comes out in the way you start living your life. Now, I, I have to finish and... Let me, let me tell you what happens in a real practical way. Here's God's work in your life, and this is your work in your life, and you have the sweet spot. Do you know what begins to happen as we grow in maturity? Do you know what happens to the sweet spot? Do you see what's happening? Is your sweet spot getting bigger? Is your joy getting bigger? Oh, your joy is off the chart. Most people live their lives like this and they don't have any joy. And God is saying, you, give, you allow me to work in your life and you work with my energizing power and you're going to have joy because joy is about my relationship with you, not your circumstances. And you can handle anything if you've got joy in your heart. And as we grow, and, and for those of you that are listening online, I've got two paper plates, and at first they're just touching, and that little touching is the sweet spot. But as we grow in our faithful obedience, our sweet spot grows. When you're a, a disobedient kid, sometimes you beg for a spake and to have your conscience cleared, right? Say amen, because you know it's true. You, you wind up the parents so you can get spanked, so you can get your conscience cleared. Boy, when you're obedient and you're loving the Father and you're loving His presence and you're coming into it, your joy goes poo right off the charts because your sweet spot has just gotten huge. Let me pray. Father.